All right, let's, let's remain standing and turn our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Remain standing and turn your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 14. If you have a pew Bible, you can stand up and also and turn to page 850. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word here. Mark, chapter 14, verses 10 through 25, I'm going to read. Again, that's page 850 in the pew Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home. We want you to have it. It's God's word for us. This is what the scriptures tell us. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 17, and when evening... And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were uh, reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Say betray. Betray. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful, to say, uh, sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is the one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, say this with me, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, to, thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, say it with me, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is God's word for us, church family. You may be seated. Remember the Alamo. Have you heard that? Remember the Alamo. You ever think about what that's referring to? I used to watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure as a kid, and I found out that Alamo doesn't have a basement. And so that's, a, that's an important fact. Erica and I had the opportunity of visiting the Alamo a couple years ago in San Antonio, Texas. And we learned while there in 1836 there was a war where the Mexican armies came to the Texans in the Alamo, and the Texans there tried to defend the Alamo, and they did it to their last breath 
but they were no match for Santa Anna and his soldiers. Well, word began to spread throughout Texas of what had taken place in the Alamo. And that great loss stirred the hearts of many Texans to take up arms and fight for their freedom. And so as they fought, they would tell each other, remember the Alamo. Remember the Alamo. For them, it was a battle cry to defend Now, we realize that remembering things is important, and we also realize how easy it is to forget important things. Let me ask you. I want want you to shout it out. What are some very simple, obvious things that you forget sometimes? Birthdays, wallet, keys, glasses, anniversaries. Someone's in trouble. You forget all kinds of things. The milk, how upsetting is it? You go grocery shopping, you come back like, the milk, right? And you know you, you got to make the coffee, the cafe con leche. I mean, that's an obvious thing you just don't forget, but it happens. There are a lot of things in life that are very obvious and memorable, but we forget them. And part of the problem is, well, we're human. <laughs> These minds of ours only have so much capacity, and things tend to leak sometimes. And then when you add the complexities of life and the busyness and all the chaos that you and I go through from a day-to-day standpoint, things that you should never forget fall away. You're just like, oh man, I had a meeting at two o'clock. It's 3.30, you know? And it happens to us. Well, no matter how small or insignificant something is or how grand it is, we have a tendency to forget. And you and I are in good company because uh, God's people forgot all the time in the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They had a horrible existence for over 500 years. Slaves. They built those pyramids. They put that together on their backs. And God sent Moses to rescue them from their slavery. And not much more than a few days after their deliverance, they tell Moses, it would be better for us to be back in slavery than to be in this wilderness with you. Days after, they forgot. They forgot how horrible slavery was. And then once God brought them through the Red Sea, he parted that thing up. They walked on dry ground across a sea. They get to the wilderness on the other side. The sea consumes Pharaoh's armies. They have a grand celebration. And not long after that, they start getting hungry and saying, I could use some meat in my diet right now, God. It would have been better in Egypt because we had meat in Egypt. And we're just drinking water and eating bread out here in the wilderness. How quickly they forget. And when I'm reading the Bible in arrogance, I look at them and say, how could you? After all that God has done for you, how could you forget this and complain to God? And all of a sudden, you look in the mirror, right? And you say, God, man, I forget my keys. I forget birthdays. I forget my salvation that your son accomplished for me. We forget. 
And then there's times where we think God has forgotten us because we, and we forget that he always remembers. Psalm 77, verse 7 says, Will the Lord's, Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then it says this. I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. The psalmist reminds us when we forget, well, the best thing to do is remember. It's to remember. Psalm 63, uh, verses 6 to 8, is a verse that my daughter, we had her memorized. Because there are times at night when she was younger, she'd be terrified at night. And we wanted her to remember God was with her. And so it says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Your right hand upholds me, it says. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, we forget. We forget the simplest things, and we forget the greatest things. And sometimes when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's times I need to be reminded why we do this as a church. And as it says right there engraved on this table is what Jesus himself told the disciples. Do this in remembrance of me. Man, we forget. We forget a lot. Today we're going to pick up in Mark 14 when Jesus tells us to remember. Now, if you've been following with us in our series, you just noticed that I jumped over Mark chapter 13. And the reason for that is that we're going to come back to that thing after Easter. It's on the end times. Jesus gives some prophecies about the last days. And I think it'd be fun to do a mini series on that after Easter. So we're going to leapfrog that and find ourselves in Mark chapter 14. Here in Mark 14, Jesus is in the final hours of his life on earth, that is. The final hours. And what we have been given is the privilege of being like a fly on the wall in this room where Jesus has a celebration with his disciples. It's like you are an observer in the crowd watching Jesus interact with his disciples the final hours of his life. And what's so remarkable are the things he tells them to do like, hey, don't forget me. And we're thinking, Jesus You're Jesus. How can we forget you? And if you're like me, it doesn't take you very long to answer that question. It's like, well, because I forget everything else. Mark chapter 14 reminds us of the path that Jesus took to the cross. His last steps, if you will. His last meal he'll have. His last hours. And it all starts with Judas Iscariot, one of his very own disciples, betraying him. Imagine that. A guy that Jesus handpicked after praying all night, turned around and betrayed Jesus. A man who lived and walked and ate and saw Jesus for three and a half years in a row, turns his back on him. And that's what we see there in verses 10 through 11. 
Judas, for a sum of money, says, Jesus, I can get rich off of your life. Well, we see there in verse 12 that this was a time, it was called the Passover. The Passover. Now, the Passover was a meal celebrated by God's people Israel throughout their generations, reminding them because they would forget that God saved them out of Egypt. And the reason it's called Passover is because on the last day, the last day they were in Egypt, God told the Egyptians and the Israelites, the Hebrews, I'm going to send an angel of death to kill all the firstborn children, all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. And if you want my angel to pass over your house, you would take the blood of a perfect lamb and sprinkle that blood on your doorpost. So when the angel sees the blood, he will pass over your house. And so from that day forward, God's people celebrated the Passover. And they did it by sacrificing a perfect lamb. It was a week-long celebration. And they also took of bread during that time, unleavened bread, because on that last day in Egypt, they didn't have time to bake bread. They stuck it in the ovens, like, we got five minutes, get that thing thing out. The bread didn't have time to leaven, it was flat. They took it with them, and they left Egypt in a hurry. And so during the Passover, they ate of the perfect lamb, and they ate of the bread, and they drank wine, and they celebrated what God had done in Egypt And according to God's great plan, here is the Passover lamb eating a meal with his disciples. The disciples came to Jesus and said, all right, Jesus, what do you need us to do to celebrate and prepare for the Passover? They had no idea what was about to take place. And Jesus gives them this instruction. Check this out here in verse 13. I love this. Jesus tells them, go into the city in Jerusalem, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. I mean, isn't that the most random thing in the world? Hey, go into downtown, and you're going to find a guy with a jar of water. Follow that guy into the house that he goes into, and then the master of that house will give you the upper room that he prepared for us. What? A man with a jar of water? See, these little details deliver some important truths. There was never a time in Jesus' last hours where God wasn't in control. He put that man with the jug of water in Jerusalem just to say, hey, I'm still in control here. It's going to get pretty crazy here. It's going to look out of control. It's going to look like God doesn't know what he's doing. But in retrospect, even the detail of a man with a jug of water was ordained by God. And so they find this man. They get to the house. The owner of the house says, yes, there's a room upstairs, and it's big enough to accommodate a lot of people to celebrate the Passover. And that's what they did. In verse 18, as they were there in the upper room, reclining at the table, ready to eat the Passover meal, Jesus drops a bomb on them. He tells them, Verse 18, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Talk about a conversation killer. I mean, like, there they are. They're celebrating Passover, remembering Egypt, God's deliverance. And Jesus said, hey, one of you is going to betray me here. And they're like, you know, spoon ready to enter the mouth. What? 
Yeah, one of you will betray me. Like one of who? One who's eating here with me. Verse 19, they began to be sorrowful. They're, they're dis- dis- discouraged. And they said to, to, uh, to him one after the other, is it I? Am I going to be the one to do that? Because they don't know what's going on. Like, you just told us one of us is going to betray you. And he said to them, it is one of the 12. Now, that's an interesting detail there. It is one of the 12, which tells us that it's more than just the 12 in the upper room with Jesus. Because he wouldn't need to say it's one of the 12. Well, it's obvious that that's all that's present. But it's likely, as was the custom in Passover, that, that there would be men and women in the setting. So it's very likely that it's Jesus plus the 12 plus many women who are in this upper room with them. And so Jesus letting them know, hey, it's not just anybody in this room. It's one who's eating with me. Not just anyone who's eating with me, but it's one of the 12. Yes, one of the people that I handpicked to be my disciple. Jesus says, it's one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. They're that close to me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Now, hold on. Notice that. Son of Man goes as it is written of him. In what ways is Jesus going to go as is written of him? And you can't help but see, again, God is in control. Jesus says, the story has been told of what's going to happen to me. I'm going to die, and that's according to God's plan. In fact, if you were to ask Peter, who put Jesus on the cross, Jesus would say, God put Jesus on the cross. Yes, the Jews betrayed him. Yes, the Romans nailed him. But it was God's plan that put him there. And that's what Peter says in the book of Acts when he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. They crucified. So Jesus says, hey, what's going to happen is according to what was written. But there's also a human element here. And he says, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. What Jesus is saying here, Judas's betrayal is of epic proportions. God's great deliverer that he spoke to Adam and Eve saying one of Eve's offsprings will crush the serpent's head. That one is the one that Judas has just betrayed. And Judas in his life has betrayed Jesus and Judas in his death will be separated from Jesus. In fact, Peter says in in the book of Acts that Judas after his death went to his rightful place. What's so telling here and what's daunting for all of us, is to recognize that Judas lived in such close proximity with Jesus. He heard his teaching. He saw his miracles. And at the end of the day, he rejected him. And for each of us, man, that, that, that should cut us in our hearts. God knows the truth. Judas clearly fooled everyone else, but he didn't dupe Jesus You know, each of us, each of us have a heart that is laid bare before God. And we could pretend that we follow and love him in front of others, but but God knows our heart. And Judas' example 
is a, is a stunning, stunning truth that proximity to Jesus does not mean relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus has hard words for the situation here. Woe to him. Woe to him. Well, the mood is set in the upper room. They're about to eat this meal. Jesus says, one of you, one of my 12, one who's close enough to me is going to betray me. And with that situation, Jesus now begins to talk about what we're going to do later on here in a moment, the Lord's Supper. Verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And that would not have been abnormal in a Passover meal. They had unleavened bread. That's what they did. That's how they celebrated it. But what's different here, which echoes through all of time to our current day, is what Jesus says. He says, take, this is my body. Jesus, and this is just not symbolizing kind of bread, but, but this is to speak of my body. When you eat this, this calls my body into mine. In fact, in the books of Matthew and Luke, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And Mark would have assumed that his readers understood that. Jesus wanted them to eat the bread to remember him. Now, it's clear that Jesus wanted and intended for them to do this throughout all generations afterward because he's telling them to do this in remembrance of me, but Jesus hadn't gone anywhere yet. But he's saying, hey, when I go, I want you to remember me. Don't forget me. And then Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, or as Luke says, the new covenant, which is poured out for many. What Jesus is saying is, when you eat this bread in generations later, remember that my body was broken. And when you take of this cup, remember that my blood was poured out for you. That's how I would save you guys. And Jesus goes on to say, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, my days are numbered. I won't do this again until after I've died and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. I won't enjoy this meal with you guys until we enter eternity together. Jesus now puts a timetable on his death. And he's saying, it's coming soon. It is coming soon. What I want us to understand, and we're going to talk about some real practical implications of this. But one reason why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper at the Brook and we tell people, hey, the Lord's Supper is for those who put their faith in Jesus. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. It's because Jesus says it is for those who have put their faith in him. See, he says his blood has been poured out, in verse 24, for many people. It's poured out for those who put their faith in him. Yes, Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover all of our sin, every person's sin, but it's only applied to those who believe in him. And therefore, Jesus is saying, if that's what you believe, then eat and celebrate. This is important, family. This is important because we want you to understand to be a follower of Jesus, to understand that his body was broken and his blood was poured for you requires you to put your faith in him and turn away from the person you used to be, the sin and the evil in your heart and in your life, to turn to Jesus instead. It's called repentance. 
You know, I heard a story, and it's crazy, that in 1829, there's a guy named George Wilson who had committed a crime and received the death penalty for his crime. And while he was spending time in prison awaiting his execution, President Andrew Jackson had people lobbying to him, asking for a pardon for George Wilson. And as Andrew Jackson left his presidency, he issued a presidential pardon to George Wilson, saying, you can be released, no longer is a death penalty given to you. That's an amazing clearance of his wrong. But what was equally amazing is that George Wilson declined the pardon. You believe that? He declined the pardon. And so now there was a dilemma. Can someone legally decline a pardon from the president of the United States? And so a debate began to go on, and it literally went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court determined this. They said the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property, and he may accept it or not as he pleases. How about that? Another, the chief justice says, we have no power in the court to force the pardon on him. You see, when we declare what Jesus has done for us, man, we we know that our lives are filled with just brokenness. There's sin. We've rebelled against God. We've broken his commands. We've turned our back on him. And if you don't believe it, search your heart long enough and you will see it. I see it in mine. And what Jesus has done and what he's about to do here with his disciples, he's telling them, hey, the cross is my way to pardon you. And when you take this bread and this cup, it is saying, Jesus, I receive your pardon. Your death was my death I deserved. And the life that you will have through your resurrection is the life you offer to me when I turn from my sin and believe in you. But notice this. Jesus makes this clear, as God does throughout the scriptures. God will not impose that upon you. His spirit will stir your heart, but you must respond to this good news. It's a pardon that God has made available. Jesus says, my blood has been poured out for the many, but it's only applied to those who believe. This is the importance of the Lord's Supper. It reminds us what Jesus has done for us. When we celebrate this at the conclusion of our service, there's some important things to keep in mind because Jesus establishes this great feast, this meal with his disciples, and the church began to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly until the present day. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives instructions of how we are to do this. He tells them that when you take of this, you're participating in Jesus' death and resurrection in a spiritual way. You are feasting upon Jesus' body and his blood in a spiritual way. And in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want us to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in your pew Bibles, is page 958. 
Paul gives instructions for us that it's going to be the, the point by which we, we, we stake what we do here at the brook. And as you're turning there to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, page 958 on your pew Bibles, I, I want to give a backdrop. So there's a church in the city of, of Corinth, which is why the book's called Corinthians. It was written to them. And they began to have these Lord's Supper meals, but it was, it was a more of an extravagant meal. But what was happening was the meal would be placed, and when people would show up to the meal, they wouldn't wait for their other brothers and sisters, and they'd come and they'd start eating and drinking without the others. And what happened was, back then, they didn't have grape juice, they drank wine, and Paul says, people are there getting stuffed on bread and getting drunk with the wine, and others are showing up late, and there's no food left for them. And Paul's like, what is going on with you guys? I mean, it's, it's outlandish. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, he says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And in verse 22, he says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul's like, you're hungry, go home and eat. We come around the table to celebrate, he says. He goes on to say that Jesus broke his body in verse 24, and then his blood in verse 25 was spilled to eat and drink in remembrance of me. What, what, what Paul wants the church to realize is that communion is meant to be celebrated with other followers of Jesus. This is not something you should go home and in the privacy of your kitchen, all by yourself, you take the bread and the cup. Yes, you can do that. It's not wrong, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of this is for us together who are followers of Jesus, who believe that his death was for them, to come and say, hey, I believe this. We're celebrating it today. And Paul wants the church to know this. So the first problem, he's like, you guys aren't waiting for others. You're not celebrating together. He said, but there's a second problem. He says, you're taking the meal in an, un, un, an unworthy way. Look at verse 27 there. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have actually died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Hear what Paul's saying there. He says, some people are coming to the Lord's table in the city of Corinth with hearts that aren't right with God, and they're just eating and feasting without any attention to the purpose of the Lord's Supper. And Paul says because of that, God has disciplined, he has judged some of them, and they become ill. And Paul says some have even died because of this. That's fascinating, isn't it? That that raises the importance of the Lord's Supper. And this is why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper at the brook, we tell us, hey, take some time to meditate on what God has done for you, who you are, as a follower of Jesus. Paul says, examine yourself to discern the body and blood of Jesus. Do these things. So this is what I want you to see here, church. Whenever we have communion, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe that he died for you and rose for you, take the time of communion to examine your heart. And in examining, there are a few things you need to look for. God, is there sin in my heart that I'm hiding from you that I need to repent of today? Am I I playing around with you, God, the one who knows my heart? That's one thing to do. Examine your heart. Paul says, discern the body. I think what he's referring to is, remember what this represents, that your Jesus went to that cross on your behalf. And celebrate that. Jesus says in Matthew 5, that part of examining our heart, I believe, is also to see, am I unreconciled with others who are part of God's church? Are there people that I call brother or sister because of Jesus that I'm at odds with and I have not taken strides or gone through pains to be reconciled with them? I think that's included in taking of this in an unworthy way. And this is why. The very purpose of communion is to say that we have been adopted into God's family and that God has reconciled, made peace between us and God. Therefore, we can have peace with our brothers and sisters. So if we're not having peace with each other, how can we say, God, yes, but I got peace with you? See, when we examine our hearts, God says, show me what's there and bring it to me. And if you got beef with your brother or with your sister, drop it, go to them, be reconciled, and then celebrate. That's what God calls us to do. This is why it's so important for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So why do we do this? All right, so I've given us big pictures. I'm going to give you five points. I've already touched on all of them. Most of them. The first one is, Jesus says, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. It's to celebrate. Church, when we come here, it's not a somber moment. It's, yes, a somber on the one hand. Jesus has went to the cross. His blood was poured. But it's a celebration because here is where we have been given life. And we can celebrate truly. I heard a story of a high school basketball team last year in Rhode Island. They were in the state championship. It was a Burville High School versus Charahoe High School. Burville hit what they thought was a game-winning shot with just seconds left on the clock. They went up by one point. They started celebrating. They were super excited. <clears throat> the other team got the ball one more time. They had one more chance with seconds left. They passed the ball inbound, and the defense, the Burville defender, stole the ball. And as time went away, he got excited through the ball in the air only for the other team to catch the ball and call timeout. The other team didn't see it, though. And so the team starts pouring on the, on the court, celebrating. They thought they had won the state championship. There's a literal dog pile on the middle of the court. The coaches are hugging each other, all kinds of things. But the officials say, hey, there's one second left. Well, that one second, that timeout, the opposing team coach drew up a spectacular play. And they inbounded the ball from the half court, and the kid who inbounded threw the ball up as an alley-oop. Kid jumped by the basket, tapped it, went into the bucket. They won it at the buzzer. Crazy, huh? Depressing on the other hand in that. (laughs) A premature celebration makes a fool out of you, doesn't it? 
But once victory has been secured, you celebrate. You see, Jesus was the Passover lamb, the perfect, spotless son of God. And when he went to that cross and that blood was spiritually sprinkled upon his children, he secured your victory. And so when we come, we celebrate. We celebrate because he has risen from the dead. So why do we do the Lord's Supper? Because we celebrate. We remember what Jesus has done. Second of all, we do this because there is a sanctifying element to it. Here's what I mean. The word sanctification means the process of being made holy before God. And so when we, God has declared us holy because of Jesus. He's the perfect one. But God wants to purge us of the evil in our hearts. And when we take the Lord's Supper, it has a cleansing effect, not because the, bro- the, bl- the blood and the bread cleanse you in itself, but the act of eating calls to your mind, examining your heart. And when you repent of your sin, when you turn from the wickedness, when you look to the cross, your heart is being purged and God is sanctifying you. Let the table sanctify you. So first, it's a remembrance, a celebration. Second of all, it sanctifies us. Third, it's a proclamation. When we take this, we're saying something, church. It may be silent. We may be quiet. We may be crying, but we're saying something. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're reading there for us, he says this in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Notice that Jesus says, I won't eat this with you until we get to heaven. But in the meantime, eat this. But know there will come a day where you don't celebrate the Lord's Supper anymore. Because you will be with Jesus eating meals with him. And so each time we take of this, we're saying, I know and I believe that Jesus is coming back for me, for us, his church, his bride. There is a proclamation taking place. We're making a statement. We're shouting out that Jesus died in my place. We're shouting out that there's been a new covenant, a new thing that God has established, bringing forgiveness. We're shouting out that we're forgiven. And we're shouting out that Jesus is coming back. That's the third thing. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The second, or the fourth reason is that it unites us as a church. We're doing this together. We're not alone. You're not alone. You're part of a family of God. And then the fifth one is, I believe it feeds your soul. Feeds your soul. See, when I'm afraid and I take of the Lord's Supper, I remember that Jesus says, do not fear. When I've sinned and I take the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, repent and believe. Confess your sin, you will be forgiven. When I'm hopeless and I come to the table, Jesus says, this life is not all that there is. When I'm alone and I come to this table, I look around and I see I'm part of a family. The Lord's Supper will feed your soul. And that's why Jesus has given it to us. 
Sounds crazy that the Savior of the world will tell us, don't forget him, doesn't it? To remember me. But if we forget our keys, we forget the milk, and birthdays, we forget our Savior. At the brook, we celebrate the Lord's Supper frequently enough so it doesn't become routine. We also do it frequently enough so we don't forget. And so that's what we're going to do right now. You see, Jesus says it's for those who believe that his blood has been poured and his body has been broken for them. If you today believe that Jesus died for you, that means you're part of his family. You are a child of God. You are forgiven as you've turned from your sin and put your faith in him. If that's who you are, we want you to come forward in a moment and take of this bread and cup. Worship team, would you guys come up and begin to prepare us for this Lord's Supper? I do want to say this. If you haven't done that, if that's not where you're at, if you, you don't believe that Jesus died for you, or maybe you, you know it, you, you understand it, but you, you haven't quite yet raised your white flag and surrendered your life to him, please don't feel any peer pressure to come up. We, we want you to examine your heart. Say, God, do I, do I know you? Do I believe you? If the answer is no. Say, okay, God, maybe today's that day for me. And we pray it would be. And really come, becoming a child of God is as simple as crying out to him, saying, forgive me, Jesus, for my sins. I'm turning from my sin. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm going to live for you now. I believe that you died for me and that you rose for me. And I'm going to live my life to follow you. That's what it means to believe. If that's where you are, then let today perhaps even be the first time you've taken the Lord's Supper with the right belief. Maybe there's some of us here today who do know the gospel, know the truth, but as you examine your heart, you realize, no, I can't do this. There's stuff in my life that I'm not giving to God. Well, as you examine your heart, give it to him and then celebrate. And if you're unwilling to give it to him, then I'd say don't celebrate it because he's not Lord of your life at the moment. And maybe God needs you to make a step forward to reconcile with somebody maybe you're at odds with maybe they're here today maybe you need to drop them a text right now maybe you need to tell them hey look we're wrong right here and let's make this right you see Jesus has given us this gift of the Lord's Supper so we can celebrate what he's done for us and as God moves you in that way let's celebrate let's proclaim let him sanctify you Let's be together as a church, all for God's glory. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, what you could do is come forward, take the bread, we'll have us all stand at that moment, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and you can eat it as you head back to your seat. Again, we want us all to search our hearts, so let's bow our heads and our hearts, and just examine your heart right now. Maybe your prayer is this. Jesus, show me. Show me the sin in my life that I am refusing to give to you. And Lord Jesus, I repent right now. I hand it over. I want your forgiveness. I want your freedom. 
to celebrate right now. Maybe your prayer is, Jesus, I've sinned against my brother and my sister. I'm wrong. We're wrong. Help me humble myself, God, to go to her, to go to him. Ask for forgiveness. Let me repent so that I could take of this bread and cup today and remember what Jesus has done for me. Maybe your prayer is, Jesus, I've never trusted in you truly until now. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, that you died and you rose for me. Give me eternal life. That's your prayer. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. Whatever your prayer is, examine your heart. Father in heaven, coming to this table is no premature celebration. Your son Jesus has secured our victory through the blood of the cross, through his broken body, and through his resurrection. Lord, we know that when we are broken, when we see our sin, what we need most is you. We need to feast spiritually upon you. So for my brothers and sisters here, God, may they come to this table with a heart of repentance and find healing at this table today. Be reminded of forgiveness at this table today. Repent at this table today. Rejoice at this table today. Hope in eternity. Hope in heaven through their sufferings at this table today, God. all rise to our feet, church family. As the Lord moves even now, let's come to the table as the instrumental music is played. Take the bread and the cup. And even afterward, maybe you want, need some more time to reflect. Maybe you need some more time to examine. Even during his last song, perhaps you will come up at that point. But let's begin to come to the table if you're ready and take of this bread and cup.
Father God, we come before you, Lord, in celebration of what your son Jesus has accomplished. And even now, Lord, as we sing and declare what Jesus has done through the blood that he shed and the body that he broke, we give you all the glory. So let us lift up our voices in declaration, thanking you for all that you've done. Oh, Lord, how we celebrate you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Church families, rise to our feet. Prayer team, would you come forward as we prepare to declare God's praises for what Jesus has accomplished. And let's sing this with great conviction, knowing that he is alive, that our victory has been secured.
is rolled away. Christ is risen. Walk in freedom. He has overcome. He stands victorious. Just the voices sing out the bridge. Sin, deep. 
Please join us downstairs for refreshments. We'd love, love, love to be down there.